Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. This podcast is sponsored by TheraWorks Relief. Many of you get sore, achy legs from standing all day or get asked about painful foot and leg cramps. If so, you're going to want to hear about TheraWorks Relief, a clinically proven topical foam that prevents and relieves muscle cramps and soreness. Learn more at theraworksrelief.com. Hey, listeners, be sure to check out our newest podcast called the Natural Products Resource Center. It will be coming out in September of 2019, and we can't wait for you to check it out. All things natural products uh, will be focused on medical cannabis at first, and then we'll be branching to other natural products topics. But be sure to follow us over there. We've got a new podcast coming out. And we're excited to share it with you. All right. So today we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Our guest, Dr. Lindsay Elmore, is a pharmacist. She's also a speaker, author, and a world-renowned wellness expert and founder and owner of Lindsay Elmore Enterprises. She analyzes data and translates complicated science into understandable stories. As a chemist and clinical pharmacist, she travels the world educating audiences about natural wellness. She obtained her undergrad degree in chemistry from the University of Alabama and her doctor of pharmacy from University of California, San Francisco. She completed her first year postdoc residency in pharmacy practice at Princeton Baptist Medical Center in Birmingham, Alabama, and a second year uh, with an ambulatory care specialty at New Hanover Regional Medical Center in Wilmington. She's board certified as a pharmacotherapy specialist and is licensed to practice in three states. She's been a visiting scholar at the University of Zambia Department of Medicine and provided direct patient care in family medicine and community pharmacy for years before changing course to embrace health and wellness. Will Lindsay, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Well, now that our listeners have heard a little bit about your background, maybe you can fill in any gaps from that intro and share a little more about your personal life. Well, I think the the intro gave a great background on my history as a pharmacist. And I still love absolutely being a pharmacist because it allows me to take the knowledge base that I learned in pharmacy school and in pharmacy practice and apply it to the realm of natural medicine, which is what I have been teaching for several years now. And I teach everything from essential oils to supplements, to yoga, to meditation, to Chinese medicine. And I I teach a little bit of everything. I also advocate for vegan cooking, not necessarily at every meal, but including some of those meatless Mondays, I think is a great addition to everybody's routine. So I take the knowledge of a pharmacist and I really think that what makes my work meaningful for me is that I get to stay focused on the patients as people, because right now I don't provide direct patient care. So everyone who's coming to me is just coming to me as a person, but every person out there has 
concerns about their health care. Every parent wants to make sure that they're feeding their child the best that they can, that they're nurturing them, and that they are making the best decisions for their health and wellness. And I find that there is so much misinformation and honestly, so much conflict and sometimes even hatred surrounding the topic of where does Western medicine, traditional pharmacy practice meet the ever-growing patient need to explore cultural and alternative medicine. And I try to be a voice of reason in between those two. Yeah, that's a good point. So, Lindsay, how or, or why do you think that alternative medicine like essential oil supplements and herbs have become so popular? I think that they've become popular um, in part because people found creative ways to share about them that were meaningful within a lot of different people's everyday lives. Everybody wants their kid to go to sleep a little bit faster and to sleep a little bit longer. Nobody wants road rage. People want easy, easy to integrate steps into their daily routine and essential oils provide that. I also just think that people started sharing about them on social media. I know that's how I learned about essential oils. I started seeing some posts here and there on Facebook about essential oils, but then I had one friend in particular who kept saying, man, essential oils have changed my household. And when a friend tells you that something simple that's easy to incorporate into a daily wellness routine has shifted her entire life, it just makes you question, like, I don't know about that. That sounds a little far-fetched. But I, for myself, can say that the incorporation of essential oils into my life not only has transformed my daily wellness, but it also has given me a platform that has created a large business. And I think that a lot of pharmacists these days are looking for ways to exercise the extraordinary amount of knowledge that we have in ways that are new and creative. There are so many pharmacists that are interested in autoimmune disease, in blogging, in creating their own style of teaching about pharmacy. And so essential oils became my platform that has created, you know, it's created a huge educational platform for me. Speaking of education, are you aware of the 2014 drug disposal of controlled substances ruling that regards safe disposal of unused medications? Well, we're lucky to have RX Destroyer sponsoring the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. RX Destroyer ready-to-use chemical drug disposal systems are safe, easy, and affordable products, which protect the environment and can save thousands in fines. To get more information on products, training, and medication waste, compliance, check out www.rxdestroyer.com slash talk to your pharmacist. Okay. Very helpful. Um, and so you've, you've kind of got this passion for mindful wellness and are a certified yoga instructor and have been using Chinese medicine and acupuncture yourself for over a decade. Um, how have you been able to blend your experience with Eastern medicine with the the background and and pharmacy teaching and, and additional residency treat training that you've you've also had? Um, how do you, how are you able to merge those two together? Well, 
just today, uh, if you go over to my Instagram story, it'll only be there for a little while, but you can check it out. Maybe I'll archive it for us since the podcast will be coming out. But just today, let me give you an example. APHA, American Pharmacists Association, sends out a survey, and it's about questions about the use of supplements in patients who have diabetes, who are on antibiotics, antifungals, et cetera. I find that the easiest way for pharmacists to start exploring knowledge about natural products is be sure you know the drug interactions that come alongside them. Which drugs are most likely to reduce vitamin D? That was one of the quiz questions today. The answer was berfampin. We might remember that somewhere back in our brain, but if we start to see a patient who is using rifampin with vitamin D levels that start rapidly dropping, that might trigger something in us. If we see someone who comes into the pharmacy and is picking up a bottle of CoQ10 alongside their antihypertensive medicines, that might trigger something in us to go, hey, I want you to be sure that you're monitoring your blood pressure. This supplement can actually reduce blood pressure. So remind them of the signs and symptoms of hypotension, of how to avoid orthostasis, all of those things. When you focus on the patient as your primary concern. A lot of pharmacists get hung up on trying to convince patients that the data is not good enough to support the use. We don't really know if it works. The clinical trials are low quality. And I think it is a huge disservice to the patient if pharmacists do not take a moment to say, okay, the patient's going to use it. This is a person who's standing in front of me. This is a real person who honestly wants your opinion. The thing I hear most and the thing that breaks my heart a little bit about so many pharmacists who are working in retail, working under those quotas, really just backs against the wall, not able to take care of patients in the way that we are so highly trained to do, is that patients genuinely want our opinions. Patients genuinely respect if they can come to you and they're picking up a prescription for a diabetes medicine and they say, I read something online about how magnesium supplementation might help glycemic control. They genuinely want you to be able to say, you know what, there actually is some data. Why don't we give it a try? I'll let your prescribers know. I understand that we can't do that in every phase of pharmacy practice. But it is a vision that I see for us. And I think that when you keep the patient in that forefront, do your best to study and learn and convey information with kindness and concern for the patient. It creates a collaborative learning and health environment that endears that patient to you and makes them your patient for life. Mm-hmm. I. So Lindsay, I agree. I think that there's there's so much um over the counter uh that patients have access to but they're always coming in to the pharmacy and and want to double check with the pharmacist. And so um how how did you start to learn about essential oils and what is your um kind of recommendation on if pharmacists want to learn a little bit more about some of these um, other therapies? Well, I would be honored if you guys would follow me on my social media and purchase my book. I just wrote the second edition of my book called Essentials. It's 75 answers to common questions about essential oils and supplements, ones that you might get in your pharmacy. 
Beyond that, a couple of the references that have done a lot to persuade my understanding of essential oils and natural supplements. The first is by Robert Tisserand, and it's called Essential Oil Safety. This is the creme de la creme of textbooks of essential oil safety. I love the way the book is broken down because there are entire chapters on on pharmacokinetics. So you can go through bioavailability and understanding how things get into the brain, into the lungs, across the skin, etc. Then it goes into body systems. So you can go into effects on the gastrointestinal um, system, the reproductive system. Oh, my stars, so many questions surrounding the use of essential oils in during the reproductive stage. You can go through the brain, the kidneys, You can look up also monographs in this textbook. And so let's say, for example, somebody comes in with a question about a rare essential oil that's not just a lavender or a lemon or a eucalyptus that you might have seen on your shelf. You can look up those monographs and look up chemical constituents that might have risk factors in either certain disease states or when combined with medications. It also has an entire chapter on potential drug interactions that goes through and breaks through base breaks it down based on cytochromes, which makes it really easy, digestible, understandable for the pharmacist. There may not be enough data for you to say absolutely not, you should or should not use it. But that's where we have to be a little bit flexible as pharmacists. There's not a ton of excellent data about anything natural wellness related. And part of my practice is just the understanding of that. And so there may not be enough for you to say absolutely you should or absolutely you should not use it. But there may be enough data for you to say, if you choose to use this, here is what I recommend that you monitor for. So sure, there are real drug interactions between essential oils and medications. There are real risks of adverse effects. And I think it's important that we educate ourselves on those things. So that is uh, Tisserand's Essential Oil Safety. Another book that has done more to influence my understanding of nutrition seasonal healing and the integration of Chinese medicine with Western practices. Because in Chinese medicine, people are willing to put a lot of time, energy, effort into going and seeking out help. In Western practices, we're much more about, we want the supplement, we want the herb, we want the tea, we want the tincture. But then we also have to acknowledge that diet is part of it. And so the book that's done more for me to incorporate East versus West is called Healing with Whole Foods by Paul Pitchford. And there was a a critical acclaim for the book that said that this book read like a life's work. And I completely agree with that. This book is it's profoundly inspiring and it is profoundly mind shifting if you've never been exposed to basic concepts of five point acupuncture and five point Chinese medicine. Yeah. Well, that's certainly helpful to give people, um, something to go off of now. Um, it's not something that's really covered in current pharmacy school curriculum. Um, what are your thoughts on, uh, seeing that in the future for um, pharmacy students and and as part of the curriculum? 
Well, again, you know, I think that pharmacists should know, especially I, I have always been opposed to any pharmacy school curriculum that does not at least attempt to cover every product that's on pharmacy shelves. If you have it in your pharmacy and you are the pharmacist, especially if you're the pharmacist in charge, we cannot see essential oils simply as, well, they've got good margins, a good markup. They're going to bring in good money. People buy them. That's not it. We have to understand how are people using these and how do we protect people. So I, I would love to see essential oils and additional information about nutrition, mindful wellness, the importance of the mind-body connection in the healing of oneself. I would love to see more of that in all pharmacy school curricula. I understand, I'm not naive, that I, it's not going to happen overnight, but if you have a special passion for this, go to your community pharmacy and go to your community pharmacy schools, excuse me, go to your local community pharmacy schools and tell them, hey, I'd love to come in and teach a, a one-hour lecture in an elective that you have. If this is something that you have special interest about, stick your neck out there and say that you're willing to help teach the next generation of pharmacists. Because if we don't, in my opinion, we put patients at risk from lack of knowledge on behalf of the pharmacist. And that is something that I is a passion for me. And I just cannot... I cannot live knowing that there are real risks, real benefits to essential oils and supplements and us just turn our back and say, no, we're only going to approach Western medicine. Yeah. So, the other oh, so Garrett, go ahead. I, I just want to say one more quick thing. I just wanted to also say, just as with medications and with herbs and with food, there is great variety in the types of essential oil quality out there. And so if you do have essential oils on your pharmacy shelf, one of the quickest and easiest things that you can do to ensure your patients have a higher degree of safety, ensure that you've got 100% pure, that you've got essential oils that don't have synthetics and don't have fillers, and that come from a company that you can trust. Because there are a lot of very, very cheap essential oils out there. And a lot of the overdosages that are reported to poison control centers are from very low quality um, camphor, and then oil of wintergreen that is found on pharmacies, pharmacy shelves, unfortunately, in bulk packaging, which increases their risk. And so small bottles, really high quality is what we want on our pharmacy shelves. That That's a great point to bring up, Lindsay. Thank you for that. Um, so it's, it is certainly a patient safety concern. Um, and so could you just share a little bit about maybe what some of the most popular essential oils are and maybe what some of the most uh, common interactions might be just so people could perk people's interest so they know that, that, that this is something that they really need to take uh, seriously and to at least get some more education about? Sure. So I'd like to first start with some over-the-counter medicines that are on most pharmacy shelves that contain chemical constituents from essential oils. 
even though essential oils may sound a little, oh my gosh, she's a little in left field, pharmacists are very familiar with chemical constituents that are inside essential oils. So the first and foremost is going to be methyl salicylate. That is going to be found in your OTC pain creams. And we also know that methyl salicylate is systemically absorbed across the surface of the skin. So we're going to get blood levels of salicylates rising. We all know what that means. We're going to have increased risk of drug interactions with our blood thinners, with our antiplatelet medicines, and with anything else that thins the blood, any other supplement or any other food that the patient may be on that thins the blood. If you recall, we've had several cases in the news of overdoses in young and adolescent children from over-application of methyl salicylate-containing creams and gels and sports rubs and ointments from over-the-counter sources. So we need to be sure that we know that one because it's going to be in a lot of our different products. Another chemical constituent that is very highly, oh, let me go back one second. So methyl salicylate, where does the natural link come in? Methyl salicylate is the natural chemical constituent found in wintergreen essential oil. Believe it or not, there's a big nomenclature difference between wintergreen essential oil and oil of wintergreen. So oil of wintergreen is the way that the industry is telling you that this is a synthetic so we want to be using wintergreen essential oil. Wintergreen essential oil is more than 99% methyl salicylate. So any concern that you have in a population who maybe is a child or is on a blood thinning medicine that you might raise a red flag and say, okay, they're buying Bengay again. I need to educate them and remind them there's that methyl salicylate in there. We can also apply that same knowledge to wintergreen essential oil. Another chemical constituent is going to be menthol. Menthol, also found in over-the-counter pain creams, as well as any of the chest rubs that are used for cough and cold. Menthol engages our cold receptors, causing a counter-irritant effect on the skin that leads it to distract our brain from pain. It also, because it engages these cold receptors, gives that feeling of the lungs opening up. Well, menthol is the primary aroma that you smell in peppermint essential oil. So we can apply the same knowledge. If we apply it maybe to where we've just got a bump or a bruise, we might get that cold sensation on our skin that might distract us from the pain a bit. We might also choose to apply peppermint to the um, chest before we go out exercising. We also see with peppermint differentiators. We see differences in between different disease states. We know that in some people who have heartburn, peppermint can be really, really hard on their system, causing an increased risk of heartburn. Alternatively, we also know that people who have irritable bowel syndrome, when they take encapsulated peppermint oil, end up with potentially having the opportunity to soothe some of those GI symptoms. So we have to differentiate between all these chemical constituents and then figure out which what, what knowledge can we leverage to go ahead and inform our practice. So we've learned methyl salicylate. We've learned menthol. A couple of other ones that I'll highlight that I think are very important for the pharmacist to know about. Your citrus essential oils. 
your highest risk essential oil for causing sunburn is called bergamot. There are also other essential oils such as lemon, orange, lime, tangerine that all carry the risk of sunburn. And bergamot sunburn, bergamot-related sunburns, and they're, they're not truly sunburns. They're truly allergic reactions. They're type 4 phototoxicity reactions. What happens is inside of these citrus essential oils are furanocoumarins. And furanocoumarins get into our DNA. They cause an intercalation between the DNA. So they squeeze in between the base pairs of the DNA, causing the base pairs to shift and reconnect in a an ad a wrong pattern. This wrong pattern within our DNA causes an inflammation and an allergic reaction that we perceive as sunburn on the skin. But really it is an inflammatory reaction rising up from within that is made doubly or triply worse by exposure to UV light. So UV light already intercalates our DNA and causes this shift. Furanocoumarins just makes it a whole lot easier for it to do. So bergamot-associated sunburns or inflammation or phototoxicities, whatever you want to call them, can be very severe. And we need to educate people. I have seen photos of people with very dark redness. And all people need to know is either put it on under clothing or put it on at a time when you're not going outside. Simple things that help people use natural products safely. Awesome. That is very helpful. Definitely highlights some of the the key things that that people or clinicians especially need to know about how to use essential oils really safely. Um, So Lindsay, I think some of the biggest takeaways that you wanted to kind of share and, and highlight is um, the importance of look, okay, well, if a patient is, is going to be taking some of these anyway, how do we meet them where they are? And, um, and, you know, the onus is on us as clinicians to, um, get that additional education, uh, to be able to, um, help support our patients in their health and wellness quest. Absolutely. I think that, there's no room for dogma in healthcare. There's no room for us to think that there is one way to achieve health. We have seen the struggle to decide what the perfect way to treat patients is. I mean, look at the hypertension guidelines, for goodness sakes. We didn't have them. We had them, and then they it was took forever to get them updated. And now it's like, okay, well, we've got all these different organizations that have different opinions about what is the best possible way. And so I think that if we as pharmacists can open ourselves up and say, instead of thinking this is a pain for me, this is something I don't know anything about. Use it as an opportunity because the best thing about being a pharmacist is we tend to recall drug knowledge pretty quickly and pretty easily. It, we enjoy learning this kind of thing. So if this is a special interest for you, learn about it, teach about it because patients ask about it. And the worst thing that we can say is, I don't know. And the worst, even worse than that is saying, I don't know with an un 
willingness to learn. Exactly. So Lindsay, what is, as our final question, what is some advice that you would tell your younger self or for other pharmacists out there who are just getting started in their career? So for pharmacists that are just getting started out in their career, one of the things that I I think is a difficult lesson to learn is that failures happen. I I wrote a paper in in AJHP years ago called On Failures and Rejections, and it was about making mistakes, you know, and not getting exactly where you thought you were going to be. And I think that as long as you use every opportunity as an opportunity to learn, we do make mistakes. We're human. It is what we are. But I think that it's important for us to forgive ourselves because ultimately our job day in and day out is to come to work and see people in front of us. Oftentimes, patients become numbers, they become line items on spreadsheets, they become something other than someone's mother, brother, sister, child. And I think it's important for us to not lose touch of the heart that brought us into the practice of pharmacy, because it is it is a wonderful profession to be a part of. It's a wonderful profession to advocate for and to see driven forward. I've been super inspired by a lot of the pharmacists I've met in my life. And I think that each and every one of us has an opportunity to transform healthcare and to transform people's lives in our own ways. So be bold be brave, be ethical, be legal, be kind, and always mentor the next generation of student pharmacists and resident pharmacists. Give them the mentoring that you either had or that you wish that you had and teach people what is important in pharmacy practice to you because that ensures that it survives for the profession. Uh, Well, great. Thank you, Lindsay. So, Lindsay, tell us a little bit more about the history of essential oils because they've been around for for quite a while, but it just seems now that the popularity is is really here. It's interesting because the popularity of essential oils used to be much, much, much higher than it is now. So essential oils go back millennia. So as early as the first human graves were found going back tens of thousands of years, we have evidence of human remains being buried with aromatic plants, indicating that aromatic plants were used in burial processes. We then, several thousand years ago, start seeing essential oils distilled in bulk and get them starting to be moved around the world as currency. If we even think about religious practices, if you think about the story of Jesus at Christmas, what did the wise men come bringing? Frankincense and myrrh. Well, those were essential oils. They came bearing essential oils. And all throughout religious texts and religious ceremonies, frankincense have been burned. Sick and wounded have been anointed with essential oils. Egyptians used them as a part of their beauty processes, so did in ancient China. But then I think the reason that essential oils have gotten this reputation as being a little bit outside of the norm 
is because in the Victorian era in England, so we had gotten past using essential oils throughout the medieval ages, which essential oils were used all the way across Europe during the um, during the Middle Ages. But then in the Victorian era, when people were starting to distill their own essential oils and essential oils were starting to become a little bit outside of the norm of what the new more puritanical regime was liking, this is when essential oils got relegated into witchcraft and into the realm of the esoteric. But if you think way back, what did Hippocrates, the father father of modern medicine, say was the key to health? He said that the key to health was the bathing in scented baths. Way back when, people used way more essential oils than we are comfortable using today. Possibly even more essential oils than I would be comfortable using today. People would anoint their sick. They would slather wounds in essential oils. Babies firstborn were poured essential oils all over their heads. So the use of essential oils is actually lower now than it was way back when. And it's because of the historical shift that took place in this Victorian era where people who used essential oils were thought to be witches. Interesting. That is so fascinating. Um, and and yes, I mean, I, I know that we've all heard uh, of those, you know, different different oils, myrrh, frankincense, and even even the use of lavender oil for quite some time. And now even hotels are are using uh, you know, I've I've stayed at um I think some of the either the W or trying to think which hotel line or oh Weston's. Uh-huh. Um, they've got lavender oil uh is in a little containers beside the bed to help with sleep. It's kind of a, a new popular guest uh, amenity that they've added on. So uh, it is it is certainly uh, seeing a revival. Um, and Lindsay, finally, what are some ways that uh, the listeners could reach out, get in touch with you if they're interested in learning more? If people are interested in learning more, all they have to do is head to lindsayelmore.com. Follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, YouTube, you name it. And if anybody is interested in my perspective on how we can coach people to make decisions that optimize their health and wellness, there is a free ebook available for download over at www.lindsayelmore.com slash ebook. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lindsay. Thank you. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out the show notes at www.pharmacyadvisory.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast, rating, and reviewing it share it with friends. And if you want to be a guest or know a pharmacist leader who has a great story to tell, connect with me, Hillary Blackburn on LinkedIn and check out our Facebook page, Pharmacy Advisory Group for updates on new podcasts. Thanks for listening.